We are in um, uh, the second division of the book of Revelation, the church age. Again, the key verse, I know I'm being repetitive on um, the key verse, but it's chapter one, verse 19, which divides the, the book of Revelation into three different sections. Chapter one, Jesus told John to write the things that he has seen and that would be his appearance on the island of Patmos where he is seen with standing in the midst of the seven golden lampstands with seven stars in his right hand. And then he says, write the things that are, John. And that consists of the church age that began with Pentecost and will continue through the rapture of the church, which we'll be discussing this morning called the Age of Grace, the Church Age, a lot of different names you can put on it. And then when we get to chapter four, the third division of the book, John is told to write the things which will be hereafter. After what? After the Church Age. So we have Philadelphia this week and Laodicea next week, and then we'll actually be going into that third division of the book. But this morning, we will look at three different aspects of the Church of Philadelphia. Number one, uh, that they're given an open door of ministry, and it'll be referred to here as the key of David. Uh, Number two, uh, they're told that they're gonna be kept from the hour of trial that's gonna come upon the entire world. So whatever this trial is, it's gonna be global in its um, tribulation, And then there's a promise that they're going to be kept from it. So we'll discuss, number one, what is the hour of trial? And then number two, how is the Lord going to keep the Church of Philadelphia or any church like the Church of Philadelphia, which includes churches um, like today? And um, thirdly, or fourthly here, whatever, we're, we're going to see... Um, that the Church of Philadelphia will be one of four, beginning with Thyatira, I believe representing Roman Catholicism, uh, Sardis, dead Protestantism. Now this week, Philadelphia, and then next week, Laodicea. In the verbiage, when you read carefully, there's implication that when the Lord speaks of Thyatira, Sardis, and Philadelphia, and Laodicea, He uses a phraseology that goes something like this, do this until I come. And again, the implication is that these four churches will be in existence when Jesus comes for the rapture of the church. And as you look at at the church globally today, I see that. I see one over a billion Roman Catholics who have um, uh, added to, when we studied that, the Uh, teachings that are not biblical and the Lord says repent or else I'm going to put you into that time of great tribulation and then to the church of Sardis he chided and rebuked them because they weren't watching and they weren't ready matter of fact they didn't know what to watch for because they were spiritually dead I see that in the world today and then I, I see the church of Philadelphia And to me, this is any church that um, uh, teaches about being born again, 
the emphasis we're going to see, they were little in strength. We're going to read in just a little bit. Uh, but the Lord says, um, because you've kept my word to persevere, hang in there, and especially keeping the word of God, then he gives them this promise, I'm going to keep you from that hour. So that's our, our goal this morning is to look, what is he talking about, about that hour that's going to test the whole world? And how is he going to keep them from that? The church of Smyrna was a suffering church. Nothing bad was said about the church of Smyrna. The only other church where nothing bad is said is the church of Philadelphia. Um, City of Brotherly Love got its name from William Penn, I think. Um, It did not receive its name from Scripture. And uh, again, it's one of the two churches with no criticism or condemnation spoken against it. Only words of encouragement. So are you with me so far? These last four churches will be in existence and they'll all be called Christian. But there's gonna be a separation when the Lord comes and we'll find out who is and, and, and who isn't. With that much of an introduction, let's look at um, chapter three, verse seven, and we'll find the title unto the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I wanna take uh, verse seven uh, in two different sections, uh, 7a and 7b. The title the Lord uses here is these things says he who is holy, number one, and he's true. So the Lord is holy and he's true. These things that he said that he's holy and that he's true in that hath the key of David that he opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. In each of these messages, the Lord draws something uh, from the vision of himself as a glorified Christ or the high priest that identifies with that particular church. So he's identifying with this church as being a church that's holy, not because of their righteousness, but because they're in Christ. And um, he's identifying with them with this title, and also true, um, we're reminded that he is holy, he was holy at his birth, I'm quoting Luke one thirty-five. if you're taking notes this morning. He was so called at his birth when the angel said to Mary, therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So even when he was talking to Mary, uh, the Lord is, is referred to as being holy. And then true, if you're taking notes, um, John fourteen six and John 6 says that he that is true, John 6, 14, 6 tells us, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. True means genuine, uh, with an added note of perfection and completeness. Uh, Moses referred to Jesus this way when he said that uh, Moses gave you manna, but Jesus is the true bread that came down from heaven. 7b here gets into the key of David. 
What is the key of David? Well, keys are used for opening doors. And we read here, I'll give you the key of David and he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Now how many, uh, this is sort of Christianese. You've, you've heard the expression, uh, well, the Lord opened the door for me. How many of you have ever heard a phrase like that? Well, the Lord opened the door for me. Meaning, it's an opportunity uh, for ministry. Or we have another saying that says, when the Lord closes the door, what does he do? He opens the window. And so we know the phraseology. But where it really comes from is um, um, this opportunity of opening a door for ministry uh, really comes from the Old Testament, and we'll be getting to that in just um, a little bit. Let's go to verses eight through 10. I know your works. I'll be coming back to he who shuts and no one opens in just a second in Isaiah. He says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. You have little strength. And I'll come back and comment on that, uh, believing that the Church of Philadelphia was not a mega church because I believe they were a non-compromising church. Uh, Mega churches appeal to people's natural nature where a biblical church really appeals to those who simply want no compromise and just give us the word and um, speak it in truth. Uh, And you've kept my word and not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews that are not but lie. Indeed, I will make them come to worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. And because you have kept my command to preserve, I'm also going to keep you from the hour of trial, which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. One door for ministry, Philadelphia was uh, known as a mission-minded church. I was glad Bastidy was here because uh, Haiti is our main um, missionary outreach that we have. Uh, for many years, it was also um, India. And um, I identify um, with this open door and its growth. For example, Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa started in 1965, had 25 people. Well, that was in 1965. Um, it said as little in strength, there's 1,700 plus Calvary chapels now worldwide, not to mention our Bible schools. But the average Calvary chapel um, has, when it says little strength, it, Calvaries aren't known for being mega churches, like a, like a Willow Creek or a Saddleback or, or Joel Osteen's church, the largest one in the country down in Houston. The average Calvary Chapel has between 80 and 150 people who attend it. Now, there are exceptions to that. Uh, um, uh, um, Jack Hibbs out in California, I mean, they got 9,000 people. And um, sometimes in a larger city of multi-millions and there's only one Calvary there, you're going to have a larger church. But that is the exception rather than the rule. Um, the rule is the average Calvary Chapel in the world somewhere between 80 and 150 people. 
And we have an emphasis, like um, the Church of Philly, of keeping and teaching God's word. And that is, that's really what clarifies and really identifies um, a Calvary Chapel, is that they're known for simply teaching the Bible, simply, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And that's what we call one of our Calvary distinctives. Um, and um, I could talk more on that, but I'll leave that now. I want to go back to the book of Isaiah and talk about where this verse, open doors and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22. And let, as you're turning, let me remind you of a couple things that um, I'm going to pull out here. When you get to chapter 22, this section of the book of Isaiah is dealing with the judgments that God is going to judge different nations. In 21, it's a prophecy against Babylon. In 22, it's a prophecies against Jerusalem. Um, and this, in first verse here, it says the burden uh, against the Valley of Vision, as it re- refers to Jerusalem, the burden evidently refers to Jerusalem, as we shall point out under the comments of the verse, the burden began way off in the distance in Babylon. And they have continued now to come closer and closer to Jerusalem. And now the storm is about to break in its fury upon the whole city. So in context here, what he's talking about is the Lord, um, again, to the words of Jeremiah, that he would raise up Nebuchadnezzar and he would judge them because they didn't keep the Sabbath law for the land for those years, and the Lord required 70 years from them. They're being disciplined. Matter of fact, he spoke through Jeremiah and said, don't fight against Nebuchadnezzar. I want you to capitulate. And if you fight against him, you're only gonna make it harder on yourself. Well, that was Jeremiah. He was one man. There's a reason they called him the weeping prophet, because nobody wanted to hear what he had to say. On the other hand, he had the false prophets. And we're saying God is never going to let the temple destroyed. He'll never allow his people to be driven into captivity. And that's what the false prophets were saying today. Almost like today where people gravitate, the term in the New Testament is having teachers That'll tickle your ears. That's funny phraseology, but that's what they choose to use. What does that mean? Well, tell me what I want to hear, not what I need to hear. And please don't talk about sin or hell. Don't you know that makes people uncomfortable? And um, let me quote Walter Martin. I wasn't sure how I was going to quote it or not, and I don't even know if I can remember it or not. But it applies to what's going on today. And it applies to the video that I showed earlier. This is from Walter Martin. He wrote the classic Kingdom of the Cults, none better in the world. He said, controversy, for the sake of controversy, is a sin. But he says, controversy, for the sake of truth, is a divine mandate. How is that for a quote? And it just nails it. You know, to, to go around and poke things here and poke things there just to stir, stir the pot. No, that's not why I'm showing these things here. 
But the fact of the matter is, you saw the truth this morning and the evidence behind it. And I'm asking you to do your own homework. I'm not trying to be controversial, but I do want you to hear the truth. And so that's why we did those sort of things here. Now, as you look at this, um, what Jeremiah was speaking was not popular, but it was the truth. And it did happen. It's a fact of history. We're studying Daniel on Wednesday nights, and we know that um, uh, we've gone from the Babylonian to the Medo-Persian. By the way, if you haven't been involved with Wednesday nights, these two go together, and you, you really need to be involved with both to see um, just the wonder and the, and the awesomeness of the word of God and how he ties it all together. It really does. When it says faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God, when you see how intricate the Holy Spirit intertwines and weaves these two books together, it really does uh, increase your faith. Good place for it, amen. It really does. So I encourage you to come out on, on Wednesdays. But let's go to verse 22 and we'll see um, where this verse from the Church of Philadelphia comes from. It says, the key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder so he shall open and no one shall shut and he shall shut and no one will open. This is a direct quote that is quoted to the church of Philadelphia. Now, we're gonna be coming back here in just uh, a minute, but I wanna go, so turn the page to uh, chapter 24, and let's go back to, because we're coming right back to it, go back to uh, Revelation 3, and I wanna read verses nine and 10. Again, especially 10, because you have have kept my command to persevere. I will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. If you're taking notes, Matthew 24, Jesus foretold this time. He called it a time of great tribulation. He said it'll be a time that has never been before it, nor after it, and it will affect the entire world. And then he refers to Daniel the prophet. So with that, it raises a question, well, what is the hour of trial? Number two, how will the Lord keep them from it? All right, let's go back to chapter 24 of the book of Isaiah and give a more detailed account of what happens during the great tribulation than you're gonna find in the book of Revelation. Where? Isaiah chapter 24 is all, the whole chapter is about this period of time. It's very descriptive. And it gives us insight on a condition of what the world is about to go through and why it should terrify you as we read this chapter. So? beginning with verse one. Behold, and this is, subtitle above it is a judgment during the tribulation. Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and he makes it waste, distorts its surfaces and scatters abroad its inhabitants. It shall be as with the people, so with the priest, as with the servant, so with his master, as with the maid, so with her mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, 
as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the creditor, so with the debtor. The land shall be entirely emptied and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth groans and fades away. The world languishes and fades away. The haughty people of the earth languish. The earth is also defiled under its inhabitants because they have transgressed the laws and changed the ordinances. Boy, could I just stop and talk about a foreshadowing of what's going to be? What's happening right now? They're trying to change laws and ordinances. And so we're seeing actually a foreshadowing of what's going to be that the Antichrist will do during the tribulation. Um, They've broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, the curse has devoured the earth and those who dwell in it are desolate. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned. Now, when we get to the judgments, the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments, we're going to see that these are some of the judgments that happen. Um, And then it says, and few men are left. By the time we're through with, with the tribulation, we're talking roughly a third to a half of the population of planet Earth will be gone because of the judgments. The new wine fails, the vines languish, all the merry-hearted sigh, the myrrh of, of um, the tambourine ceases, the noise of the jubilant ends, the joy of the harp ceases, they shall not drink wine with song, strong drink is bitter to those who drink it, The city of confusion is broken down and every house is shut up so that none may go out. Now there's an interesting verse. There is a crying for wine in the street and joy in darkness, is darkness. The myrrh of the land is gone and the city desolation is left and the gate is stricken with destruction. When it shall be thus in the midst of the land among the people, it shall be like the shaking of an olive tree like the gleaning of grapes when the vintage is done. They shall lift up their voice, they shall sing for the majesty of the Lord, they shall cry aloud from the sea. Therefore, glorify the Lord in dawning light and the name of the Lord God of Israel in the coastlands of the sea. From the ends of the earth we have heard songs, glory to the righteous. But I said, I am ruined, ruined, woe to me. The treacherous dealers have dealt treacherously. Indeed, the treacherous dealers have dealt very treacherously. Fear and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitants of the earth. And it shall be that he who flees from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit. And he who comes up from the midst of the pit shall be caught in a snare. For the windows from on high are opened and the foundations of the earth are shaken. The earth is violently broken. The earth is split open. The earth will reel to and fro like a drunkard. Now, we actually will find this more in detail, adding this when we get to Revelation, when this earth goes into this um, uh, weird totter, and shall totter like a hut. Its transgression will be heavy upon it and it will fall and not rise again. Can I read that? 
The earth is going to fall as we know it and not rise again until, again, Daniel's students, stone comes, smashes the image of the world kingdoms, including the Antichrist, and what comes out out of it? The Lord's kingdom. After the tribulation, for the next thousand years, but as far as the time of the Gentiles, from Nebuchadnezzar till that time, um, it will not rise again, but the Lord's kingdom will. That's a good place for an amen. Let's finish it up. It will come to pass in that days that the Lord will punish on high the host of exalted ones, and on the earth the kings of the earth. They will be gathered together. Well, that's verbiage right from Revelation. He gathers them into the valley of the place called Megiddo. Um, All prisoners are gathered in the pit and will be shut up in the prisoners. After many days, they will be punished. Well, this is interesting because this is a reference to the tribulation, but they're not going to be judged until after the thousand years at the great white throne judgment. So now you need to put Isaiah and Daniel and Revelation together to get the complete picture of what's being said here. After many days, well, I know how many days, 1,000 years, they will be punished. Then the moon will be disgraced and the sun ashamed. That clearly is Revelation. For the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion in Jerusalem and before his elders gloriously. We have all this chapters talking about an event that we call the tribulation period, a seven-year period of time. And then we have this one verse at the end where it says, but on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, uh, the Lord will reign uh, gloriously. What is the hour of trial that the Lord is speaking to the church of Philadelphia? Well, it's the tribulation. Isaiah 24 is pretty descriptive on telling us what it's like from that vantage point. The next question is, well, how will the Lord keep those like the church of Philadelphia from the hour of trial that's going to come upon the whole earth? Uh, It's interesting to me that in just one page, go to Isaiah chapter 26, and as you're turning, let me remind you of a couple things that pertain to Bible prophecy and interpretation, what we call eschatology. And that's something that we need to be sensitive to because it's gonna happen here. Let me just use the example of Zechariah 9, verse 9. That's a prophecy of Jesus riding the donkey into Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes lowly, sitting on the colt of a foal. Everybody with me? Okay, verse 10, the very next verse, talks about, and he shall reign, and his kingdom shall reign from sea to sea forever. So we have the Lord riding a donkey on Palm Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday, and then we have an event where we have him reigning for a thousand years, and we have a 2,000 year gap between those verses, and they're inserted. It's a change of thought completely from what's being said. Now I could use other examples, um, but let's just use that, use that one for the sake of time. Uh, Isaiah chapter um, 26 is Israel's kingdom song. And, um, but what I want to draw your attention to 
is how is the Lord going to keep them from that hour of trial? There are many names for what we call the tribulation period. Let me just give you a couple of them. Daniel's 70th week, amen? Time of Jacob's trouble. Um, Here's one of the names for it right here. Um, The indignation. So look at verse 20. And I believe uh, when people say the church is in the Old Testament, of course it is. Because he talks about becoming a light to the Gentiles. Who do you think they're referring to? And the resurrection of the, of the just. We have pictures of it throughout. But in verse 20 it says, Come my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also will disclose her blood and I will no more cover her slain. What's going on here? Well, there's this group that he calls his people and he says, I want you to go and and stay in your chambers. For how long? Oh, a little while. How long is a little while? Well, compared to 6,000 years, seven years is a little while. So at this time, I want you to, um, to go with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. And the Lord's promise, especially in times like this, verse one, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I would call those chambers. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. He's talking to his disciples or the church. And if I go and prepare a place for you, and he has, I will come again and receive you to myself. So he says, I want you to stay in your chambers for a little while. I got a job to do. He goes out and he brings judgment upon planet Earth for rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when it's all over, then they evidently come back out of their chambers. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going and how, how do we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Paul says, I don't want to go anywhere or do anything or teach anything unless it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to stop and pause and present the gospel in a simple way. What I just read is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Well, that's pretty narrow-minded. That's pretty exclusive. How can we put that on the back of our coexist bumper sticker? You know? You narrow-minded and bigoted Christians. Actually declaring that you think you're the only ways? No, I'm not saying that. God's word is saying that. If you're taking notes, let me quote Acts chapter four, verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given by men which by you must be saved. So what's so different about Jesus? 
Well, he lived the perfect life. Remember, he was holy at his birth. He was holy at his death. We read in Daniel 9 when we get there that he's going to be executed, but not for himself. His judgment was my judgment. He took that upon him. It's a great exchange where he took my sin and he gave me his righteousness. And there's only one person who has lived that perfect life. Jesus said, don't think I've come to destroy the law. What's the law? It's not just 10 commandments. There's 613 of them. And he fulfilled every one of them. Never sinned in thought, word, or deed. He was holy. And he has to be, the, he's the only one who's qualified to give grace to me and grace to you and say that now you're holy also. That's why Jesus is the only way and there is no other way under heaven whereby you must be saved. So, but, but again, um, it is about free will and about love and what the Lord does is he presents truth and then he allows you to make up your own mind. And he's not in the arm-twisting business at all. And neither should we be. We should simply speak the truth in love. Well, I have an opportunity in these verses right here to present the gospel. Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. There's no other way. And if you think otherwise, you have that freedom to choose. But you're playing Russian roulette with your soul, my friend. To take a chance of all the prophecies in this book, every one of them has come true. You think this one's gonna be wrong? I don't think so. It's not gonna start with the, with the, the gospel itself. So you, we all have friends that said, well, that have the opinion that we're over-opinionated. Not at all. We're simply believing that God's word is what it says it is. Nothing more, nothing less. We believe it's inerrant. That means without fault, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It can be used for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, all of the above. It's how to live life. And, you know, the fruit, just listening to Bastian, knowing his whole story, marrying him and then burying Betty and knowing all that they've gone through, I saw a piece of land that was, there was nothing. And now the Lord's using Bastian just in incredible ways. Um, we got another Calvary saying, healthy sheep reproduce healthy sheep. And that's all that's happened in Carne Haiti. And um, Bastia is uh, simply, like he was sharing earlier, um, teaching the word of God, which is not something they're used to. They're used to going to church every Sunday and getting preached at. And um, that took a while, as Bastia said, for them to understand, no, it's more about once you're saved, you don't need to be preached at, you need to be taught. Another good place for an amen. amen. All right, so let's go back to... Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 at this point. As we're talking about this event that we call the rapture. How is the Lord going to keep the church from Philadelphia from going through this period of time? Well, we read in chapter 5 verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that that day should overtake you as a thief. 
You are sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Key verse. For God has not appointed us to wrath. When we get to chapter six of Revelation, verse 17, it says the wrath of the Lamb has come. That's how it's describing the tribulation period. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, whether we wake or sleep, that we should live together with him. Therefore, scare one another to death with these words. No, it's just the opposite. But if for a moment you thought you were going to enter this period of time, you tell me what kind of comfort you're gonna get out of that. No, you're sons of light and of the day. You know the times and the seasons. Compared to here with what? Birth pains. And the closer we get to the Lord's coming, the Lord says you're gonna see things like you've never seen before. And they're gonna be closer together and they're gonna be more intense and this, when the Lord said, and he rebuked the church of Sardis, he says, you're not watching. Well, it's because they didn't know what to watch for. They were gathering a nation of Israel, one of the biggest um, miracles and signs, because according to the parable of the fig tree, that generation is gonna see the fulfillment of all things. That was 72 years ago, my friends. And so now, what's happening? It's getting closer and closer and closer. And what's happening? worldwide pandemics. We'll talk more about that as time goes on. And now that people are starting to catch on because there's more going on than what beats the eye here. So let's shift gears. Let's see if we can have lawlessness by taking an event and by no way am I minimizing the tragedy that took place in Minnesota with this black man being um, basically murdered by this police officer. Um, but to have the world now go into lawlessness because of it when it's an event that actually happens every single day? I've never seen that before. And now we have one of the signs, one of the signs of the last days, lawlessness. And, um, oh, I can't get going down the list because we'll be here way too long. So um, having said that, let's reread it in its proper context because we know the times and the seasons when Israel becomes a nation. Therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you are doing. And the two questions ask, what is the hour of trial? The tribulation. How is the church of Philadelphia going to escape it? There has to be a rapture. We'll talk about that and we'll take a whole Sunday morning to do it. But this, that's the only way, my friends, that there's comfort. When I know that God has not appointed me to that period of time, and that his word says, because you know that and you're watching, comfort yourself with it. You know how many people are so stressed out and burned out, they don't know the Lord, they don't have a job, suicide's off the charts, and people have anxiety levels like they've never, ever had before. And um, I just thank the Lord, I know what's going on. Good place for an amen. amen. From a biblical perspective. I get it, Lord. You said this, this was going to happen. It's happening just like you said. 
later on, and when it gets to 2 Thessalonians, Paul has to remind them. He says, I told you guys this. Don't you remember when I explained these things uh, to you? You should know them. All right, let's uh, wrap this up this morning by going back to Revelation 11 through 13. Behold, I am coming quickly. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one take your crown. The Bible says there's going to be a falling away in the last days. You can see it. Um, The social gospel has pretty much um, really come in. That's a whole subject within itself. The idea here, coming quickly, hold fast what you have. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in a temple of my God. And he shall go out no more, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Now we read earlier that you're gonna have a new name. Well, the Lord's gonna write on you his new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Behold, I come quickly. Quickly does not mean soon. Rather, it has the idea of a suddenness and an air of expectation. That is, he will come at a time they know not. It does not mean he is coming immediately, but his coming will be sudden. This is the promise and the hope of the church. Actually, the church is not looking for the great tribulation period. Nowhere are you told that you are to gird up your loins, grit your teeth, clench your fists, because great tribulation is coming, and you're certainly going to go through it. He never said that. But he did say this, if you're taking notes, it's Titus 2.13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me say in closing again that the Philadelphia church represents the revived church, the church that has returned to the word of God. It is this church that is to be raptured, his true church, and I do not think you can put that in any form of any denomination, and please don't think that Calvary Chapel is the only one around the world. No, there are many good churches They're small, we're all definitely in the minority. Um, I do not think you can put that in any denominational of any particular local church. They are scattered throughout the world and you will find some of them belong to some (laughs) some funny organizations. uh, But nonetheless, they're born again and they love God's word. And as a result, when you hear that trumpet that says come up here, Uh, They're coming up, and we're going up. Therefore, I'll close it with the therefore. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. No matter how bad it gets now, this is as worse as it's ever going to be. Because once we're out of here, we're home. That's a good place to stop. Let's stand. We'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. And a special a tree to having Basti here and, and um, being able to see brothers and sisters we haven't seen in, in a while. Thank you for the fellowship of the saints. 
And Lord, the scripture, of course, that comes to mind is that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but do it all the more as we see the day approaching. Lord, thank you for your word that lays it all out where we can see what's happening. And therefore, we can take comfort in these things. In Jesus' name, amen. It's happening just like you said. Later on, and when it gets to Second Thessalonians, Paul has to remind them. He says, I told you guys this. Don't you remember when I explained these things uh, to you? You should know them. All right, let's uh, wrap this up this morning by going back to Revelation 11 through 13. Behold, I am coming quickly. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one take your crown. The Bible says there's going to be a falling away in the last days. You can see it. Um, The social gospel is pretty much um, really come in. That's a whole subject within itself. The idea here, coming quickly, hold fast what you have. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in a temple of my God. And he shall go out no more, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Now we read earlier that you're gonna have a new name. Well, the Lord's gonna write on you his new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Behold, I come quickly. Quickly does not mean soon. Rather, it has the idea of a suddenness and an air of expectation. That is, he will come at a time they know not. It does not mean he is coming immediately, but his coming will be sudden. This is the promise and the hope of the church. Actually, the church is not looking for the great tribulation period. Nowhere are you told that you are to gird up your loins, grit your teeth, clench your fists, because great tribulation is coming, and you're certainly gonna go through it. He never said that. But he did say this, if you're taking notes, it's Titus 2.13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me say in closing again that the Philadelphia church represents the revived church, the church that has returned to the word of God. It is this church that is to be raptured, his true church, and I do not think you can put that in any form of any denomination, and please don't think that Calvary Chapel is the only one around the world. No, there are many good churches They're small, we're all definitely in the minority. Um, I do not think you can put that in any denominational of any particular local church. They are scattered throughout the world and you will find some of them belong to some (laughs) some funny organizations. uh, But nonetheless, they're born again and they love God's word. And as a result, when you hear that trumpet that says come up here, Uh, They're coming up, and we're going up. Therefore, I'll close it with the therefore. 
Therefore, comfort one another with these words. No matter how bad it gets now, this is as worse as it's ever gonna be. Because once we're out of here, we're home. That's a good place to stop. Let's stand, we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. And a special treat of having Bastia here and, and um, being able to see brothers and sisters we haven't seen in, in a while. Thank you for the fellowship of the saints. And Lord, the scripture, of course, that comes to mind is that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but do it all the more as we see the day approaching. Lord, thank you for your word that lays it all out where we can see what's happening and therefore we can take comfort in these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, thank you for your word that lays it all out where we can see what's happening and therefore we can take comfort in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.